Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Knollcast. Bud, I uh, want to thank our friends Louisiana Hot Sauce as the title sponsor, as always. Consistent, never let you down. Uh, something that we're proud and fortunate to be able to partner with. And uh, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, and uh, maybe the highlight of consistency when we talk about things tonight. So we'll jump into podcast post-game reaction podcast after we've both had the chance to rewatch the Boise game and uh, we'll I've got a cheesy just... one for you right here right Louisiana hot sauce does not work if you do not actually point it at the plate right and it also does not work if you don't shake it you cannot just hold it there and hope you actually have to kind of trigger if you will trigger the hot sauce coming out of the bottle and you have to align the hot sauce somewhat close to the plate and the food that's preferably on the plate, right? A lot of things, alignment, assignment, triggering. These are, these might be themes tonight, so I figured we, we, we should just start it off like that. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just That was, no, that I, was too I easy can, for me to pass up. Uh, our listeners might be able to tell that a, a uh, impression of a conversation about the linebackers that we were having 30 seconds before we pressed record may still be uh, fresh in Bud's mind there. We're going to have an open back and forth this uh this will just be uh, two guys trying to make sense of what they saw, what uh, the staff sees, what they're trying to get kids to execute, and what the future might look like. So, Bud, uh, put the ball in your court and see where this thing goes. You want to start defense or offense? Uh, I, I I know we have offense first uh, on, on the sheet, but I almost kind of want to flip around and go go defense first uh, since I think we started with offense on, uh, on the instant reaction pod. You got a preference? Because, I mean, we, we can talk either. Let's go defense. I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of content for either side. We'll go defense and uh, see where that takes us. Th- this defense was trash. Okay, like it was actually worse than I thought it was, and I, I think I ripped it pretty good. On, C- on the Instant Reaction podcast, Coach Taggart came out today and, and said some things that I, I, I think are kind of shots at the defense coordinator and uh, are, are well-deserved, well-deserved shots, I think, at his defensive staff. They failed their kids. They did not put their kids in a position to succeed. It's unacceptable to do that. You had all offseason to get this team ready. Uh, you decided to switch to a 3-4. My guy said because they thought that they would need help with the pass rush. And indeed, I, I think that they absolutely did. And, and they kind of got the pass rush part pretty good with all the blitzing, right? I mean, that was that was true. It's everything else that completely sucked. Just so much stuff. Okay, so... I guess I guess we'll start run game. Um, Boys was able to run the ball at I think like a sixty percent success rate, which is just astoundingly high for a team that has a true freshman quarterback and and, and for a defense that you know really has to to be focusing on stopping the run. We discussed this actually in the pre-show. Do you remember that when preview we said, "Hey, you really 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 need to stop the run here. Make this kid beat you with his arm over and over again." They failed to do that. They made this about as easy as possible as they could make it for a true freshman quarterback, at least in terms of the situations in which he had to throw. Now, Florida State did did give him quite a few good licks, but still, not uh, not a good deal there. What happened on the run plays? I'll just start at the first level of the defense, and then we can go to the second and the third and kind of have that little more micro-conversation. Up front, I, I didn't think the starters were actually – that bad necessarily. A couple times they got washed down. 
a couple times that when when they were slanting, uh, they they slanted too far and and lost some gap integrity. So that was certainly on them. I didn't think that the front necessarily right, like your your, your three down guys, were your primary problem. With the linebackers, uh, sometimes they were not aligned properly to the to the tight end or or the H back, and thus. Boise State ended up having a pretty nice numerical advantage at the point of attack. Some five on fours, four on threes, not even accounting for the back, right? And I try to get like not real hyper technical on this show because I don't think it always makes good radio, but forgive me for a moment if I have to. If you have enough blockers for all the defenders and nobody to account for the back, you're probably going to have a pretty good run. If you further complicate matters by taking those defenders and they don't adjust properly, and you allow you allow the offense to get basically favorable blocking angles to where lesser players can block better players, uh, then the defense is is totally screwed. And indeed, too often that was the situation in which Florida State found itself uh, on on Saturday. So, so a really bad job there by the coaching staff of having having this defense ready uh, to line up. Now, when the ball was snapped, they uh, those backers just sat there and didn't do anything. Right, I literally I was cutting up clips to share with my tomahawk team, and so we could discuss this stuff and and send them over to you. And uh, I had a clip I called WTF Linebackers MP4, and my computer said, uh, "Error, you already have a clip called WTF Linebackers MP4. Would you like to replace?" And that's kind of a perfect encapsulation of their night lack of triggering. Also, I think a lot of confusion, man. And, and we can talk about this, too, before we get an individual player thing. But, like, I mean, I'll bounce this off you. Do you think they know what they're doing out there? Because I'm not convinced they do. I, I don't think this staff had them ready to know what they were doing. That There's no way they can be that hesitant if they knew what they were doing. Some of these dudes are just standing there not doing a damn thing. They're just flat-footed. I, I know we were discussing that one play before we hit record. No, I, there's little doubt in my mind that, that everybody feels comfortable as to what is being asked of them. You see too many guys pointing at each other after plays. You just, look, you don't give up as many large plays as you do. Seemingly, well, I don't want to say without concern, but Boise State was getting 22 plays on, or 22-yard plays on you like it was a, a pitch and catch. You you just don't know what you're doing. And, and the scary thing when I went back and uh, rewatched and rewatched twice is that there's too many pl- plays where Florida State's in zone and they give up a 22-yard gain and there were two or three other 20, you know, 18 to 25-yard gains out there uh, of other selections of the quarterback. It is just a, a defense that either doesn't fully know what it's supposed to do or is in conflict with each other so much that uh, you end up just creating very easy open throws that uh, even a true freshman was able to make once he got a little bit of confidence under his feet. Yeah, and, and I mean specifically here, I'm I'm even thinking about the run game. Like I don't think they understand what their run fits are. Oh no, in no, the three they, four, right? No, you and you did a good job talking about that. You're you even in the in the live first watch in game. Um, you can I talk about that tell that your okay. linebackers don't know. I no, just my impression of the game. Like you could you could see you could see your linebackers were an absolute mess not knowing uh, exactly what was asked of them, two guys in the same gap. It's a, you know, there's, there's questions to be asked all around, uh, and there's, there's questions that will be asked 
of every member of this defensive staff in time. But the the linebacker unit is a a massive concern and does not appear to be uh, instructed or at least to have taken much instruction at all. The coaching these linebackers are getting is 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 terrible right now, in my opinion. There's no way. Like here's the thing: I wouldn't say this if it was just one dude, but there are so many guys who don't seem to know what they're supposed to do at the linebacker position. And aggressiveness comes from confidence, which comes from preparedness. Okay, if you know what you what what you need to do on a play, if if you've repped it and you know what your assignment is, and you see that that guard come out at that angle, and you read your triangle and you got it, well, guess what? Okay, I'm coming downhill. I'm firing. Way too often, these backers who are not that big are flat-footed. I mean, there, there's there's the play where, where DeKalen Brooks is flat-footed. It, it's a second and three. He's at three and a half yards depth and is getting blocked past the first. Like, literally, I'm not saying he got pushed past. The guy is making first contact literally at the first down line. You're a linebacker who's five yards off the ball, and you're getting engaged three and a half to four yards down the field by a guard that probably outweighs you by 100 pounds. The, the, the handoff already happened. The, the back already took a step. By that point, you need to have taken a couple. All right? Yeah. It's better to be six foot three, 229 at linebacker, right? It's better to have this prototypical build. But you can get by at linebacker in college. Doesn't mean you can be a dominant All-American player. But with instincts, confidence, and the ability to play the game, you don't necessarily have to be, uh, you know, that future NFL type. I don't want to be too critical of one individual kid, but man, I I don't see value in Brooks taking snaps right now. And, and by no means, I'm not trying to come out the gate ten minutes into this podcast and blame individual kids, but there's too many negatives there. Slow to react, bad instincts undersized, not a good tackler. I let's uh, you got three kids that you signed. You go out, you do the work on the trail, you fight Michigan for a kid out of uh, southeast Georgia. It, it's time to start playing some younger talented members when it comes to some of the personnel selections you're making at linebacker. I I completely agree. I mean it it's look, he can't play for you right now. It they, like physically he really can't take on blocks and if he's not going to trigger downhill, I mean, him being out there is somebody, when you see him, like you want to target that guy immediately. I agree. I, I would go with more of a youth movement there at linebacker. Um, and you also had senior linebacker Dontavis Jackson not, not falling on a ball, right, making one of the crucial errors of the game. Like there's a lot of talk there, but not a lot of play to back it up on a yearly basis, like four years of it now. It's as bad of a moment as you're going to have. I mean, it's just simple football. You're you're a freaking linebacker. You're not picking that thing up and running. You're not, and, and even the body prep and knowledge of a football, you know a loose ball. There's other people on the field. You're not protecting the ball. You're not, it was as bad of a moment as you could have. And uh, man, again, you didn't lose that game because of one individual play, but when when you fail to fall on a ball uh, that Hamza Nadraldeen is fortunate enough to shake loose, and it's out there on the field as long as it is, and you got two guys that can't come up with it, sure doesn't feel like that's going to be a, a game that you end up winning at that point in time. So, all right, we, I think we've kind of covered the linebackers here. 
Taggart definitely talked about the need to get guys in there who are going to fire and get downhill. I completely agree with him there. I was kind of surprised at how candid he was a little bit in, in, in his press conference today on some things. But on some things, I, 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 don't, I don't buy what he's saying at all. In fact, I think he was sort of evasive in some things. But, I, I mean, I, I probably would be too in his spot. The third level of the defense. Okay, so this is my, my continuing thing as far as alignment, assignment. So knowing your assignment, right? Knowing what your fits are, also your alignment. It does look like... If you go look at some of these times, go, go look at where they have basically a, a nub tight end, so like, like like a tight end, but there's no receiver to the outside of it, right? Or when they have for, formation into the boundary, or when they have like an offset H back there. Florida State doesn't—they're outnumbered at the point of attack. If you just look at it on screen now, on some of these plays, when ESPN gives you the zoomed out look, and you can see this from the box, or if you're actually in the stadium, but. You can basically tell that Florida State is counting on one of its safeties to to be that extra run defender there at 10 or 12 yards depth. Look, this is not working. I think in theory, it's fine. Okay, but in practice, this did not work repeatedly. So you're basically asking somebody in the run fit game to do something here based on what their alignment is, that they're not capable of doing. They were basically never on time getting downhill with it. Florida State needs to come up a little bit with, with one of its safeties there. It, it, it can't play quite at that depth. I'd like to actually see both of them come up in some situations. I, I, I thought that that was one of their issues in the run game. There were just so many runs where it wasn't necessarily guys getting their ass kicked physically. So that's the good news, right? I, I, we've been pretty – Pretty open and honest on this show when we say, look, man, this position group just doesn't physically have it. I felt like almost every episode last year with the offensive line, we had to come on here and tell you that. Remember that? Like, remember how depressing that was? Like, we just had, we had it in bold at the top of our, our, our show notes. It was like, don't forget the nail. You know, with, with the, uh, you, you've seen the video, right, where the girl has the nail in her head and she has all the all the medical problems that she's talking to her husband about. And he's like, yeah, but you get the, you had this nail in your head. Like last year, that was the offensive line, right? It was just, it was the bigger problem than everything else combined, really. And physically, they just didn't have players who could play. That's still a bit of an issue, but some of these dudes, I don't think, are completely lost physically, right? And they're not being put in a position to, to succeed. If this doesn't turn around, and I'm Willie Taggart, I'm firing this whole defensive staff. This is unacceptable. Like, this is garbage. We, we know the, these DBs have a lot of talent. And they are not being used correctly. These linebackers, I don't think, have a ton of talent, but they have more talent than what they showed. There are way too many runs in which Boise was set up to have successful runs simply because Florida State was just not aligned properly, man. And that gave Boise great angle, great angles to, to scoop these dudes. And, 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 and it's just, it doesn't seem to make sense how they're aligned. And I think what they're doing up front, as far as run fit goes, might be too confusing. Because there's too many dudes who I don't think are dumb football players, right? Like Brooks. Brooks is not physically gifted in any way, but I don't think he's a dumb player, right? I don't think Jaden Lars would be a dumb player. They're not. But they they play so slow, it makes you look it makes you think like they don't know what they're looking at, which to me suggests that they don't know what they're looking at. So whatever their rules are for their run fits. 
they've got to change some of those up on the fly. And they, they're going to beat Louisiana Monroe, I'm pretty sure, because they, they'll. I don't think Louisiana Monroe can get much of a pass rush, and they should score 50 on them. But, man, you got two weeks to go to Virginia, and Virginia's a really well-coached team. And if you don't fix some of this stuff, UVA is going to run circles around your ass coaching-wise. And then, look, that is on, on Coach Taggart ultimately. And their quarterback will embarrass you. Well, yeah, exactly. Their, their quarterback is actually really damn good um, and super athletic and basically impossible to sack. So you just go watch that Virginia Pitt game and, and look how many times Pitt had him wrapped up for sacks and, and all of a sudden he's out of it. And it's just a total continuation of last year. So that's my thoughts kind of on the run game stuff. Now, the pass game stuff, I have a little bit different thoughts. Now, we just did 12 minutes, 13 minutes on run game, but I think it's warranted. Right, I mean, when when you when you allow that many successful runs. Also, I will say this: I did not think tackling was the same issue that it was made out to be in our inbox. Right, like to me, the issues were more misalignment and not understanding what your assignment were, creating you to be late, uh, and so you're actually catching blocks and kind of catching ball carriers as opposed to attacking them. Um, I don't think the tackling technique was actually like always horrible. So maybe that's some good news, right? I, I just think it was like, oh, they didn't make the tackle. Yeah, they didn't make the tackle, but there's a reason. It's not necessarily they don't have good tackling techniques. Sometimes it's they were out of position and scrambling to get back into position uh, for the play. Does that, does that kind of make sense? Also, it was week one. It's Yeah, exactly what I was going to say. Week one, you'll see as much of a uptick as possible. And in, in the whole first quarter, and this is, oh, you see this almost every first game of the year. And defense runs around, basically tries to kill everybody. I mean, you're so, you, you're so hyped up and so on edge to finally be able to play a jersey of a different color uh, that you don't try to tackle. All you try to do is hit. All you try to do is thump, uh, which basically means you're, you know, you're Hamza uh, year-round. But uh, it's it's a group that tackling is is – I have many concerns about the defense. I have a whole lot of concerns about – the general shift to the 3-4 that I'd like for us to talk about uh, maybe after the passing. But uh, tackling, at least at this point in time, I think that'll sort itself out. And that is the one place from week one to week two uh, that you see the biggest uptick. I I completely agree with that. Um, All right. In the pass game, number one, Florida State did not get a whole lot of pressure when it only rushed four. It did get slightly more pressure when it rushed four than I thought it would get. Um, You know, Cooper's not that much of a pass rusher. I do think that one of the issues when rushing four, it was actually a positive for Florida State, is because Florida State was playing a 3-4 and because it showed a propensity to rush from a lot of different areas and that when it did rush four, you still had kind of the benefit of creating, you know, some level of confusion. And last year, they didn't really have that, right? Like it was it was just the four four down in were basically the, the four guys you were going to get rushing unless you brought blitz. But it what you didn't have a whole lot of guess, guesses like, okay, which of these four are actually coming. So I, I, I was I was pleased with that. I thought they did a better job for the most part, especially in the first half. Second half, I thought they, they had a little bit less discipline on this. But they did a good job, I think, of rushing as a team, or, or, or of blitzing as a team. And what I mean by this, we, we've discussed this before, like understanding who is supposed to get pressure on the quarterback here and who is supposed to occupy occupy blocks and influence blockers. Last year, they were poor at this, I think. And honestly, like the last, uh, what, basically like the last four or five years, they were not any good at this. Great example of this is the uh, the the real 
almost kill shot that Gaynor gets on the quarterback. Uh, if you watch how that play develops, you'll see uh, a couple guys that are taking taking uh, potential blockers away, allowing Gaynor to come underneath and uh, come up the middle untouched. It's a it's a nice unselfish display of defense. Uh, absolutely, and and it did it did look like they they executed some complex complex uh, black complex blitz elements there, in my opinion, uh, successfully. So that was good to see. So just to recap here, I think they need to simplify things some with the run fits on defense. I don't like how that looks right now. It looks like guys are way too thinking they need to be getting downhill a lot a lot faster. And I think that they are – some of these issues that they have there, and this is not really alignment stuff, but like when some of these dudes are slanting, it – it looks to me like they may be changing gap responsibility based on the slant, which would make sense. It's not like that crazy of a concept. But FSU's dudes are not picking this up. Like, the linebackers are just not getting it. It's it's not happening. So, yeah. But Okay, so back to pass stuff. I like the pass rush they got when they blitzed. I think they should blitz a little bit more. I'm not one of these guys that think they need to blitz all the freaking time. So basically, like when I say they need to be more aggressive, I'm talking about within the coverage scheme. Okay. So it's not like, hey, you need to blitz a lot more. It's they're allowing a lot of open thing of, of, of open space in that sort of five to fifteen range, just a ton of open grass. Not only when when they're just regular coverage, but also in their blitz coverage. And it's just it's not making life difficult enough on the quarterback, and it's creating a situation to me where it's basically either sack or completion, right? They're not like making him hold the ball a little bit because the guy is covered or rush a throw to it to a man who's fairly covered. Just it's it does it's only one game, and we're not gonna overjudge based on one game, although I'm pretty damn tempted to here. Their coverage is is not tight enough. They're they're not getting any kind of reroutes. It looks like they're playing too basic of a coverage in the back end. And this, I mean, I want to hear your thoughts on this too, but like this concerns me a lot, man, because this does not, this looks like they've actually taken a step back from what they did last year. And there's no reason to take a step back from that because the guys you had last year were oftentimes injured. You have better personnel this year in the back end. And I think at linebacker too. And, uh, and that's just not good, man. Like that, that's not good. You can't, be doing that. It looks like they've regressed in terms of their complexity. It's just, it looks like they're just spot dropping and they're spot dropping with, with, with no reroutes and, and they're not matching coverages. And if you're not going to match coverages, uh, you might as well play man all the time, which you can't do. That's not realistic, right? It's, that's, that's going to get you beat. You have to be able to mix and match what you play. But like what they're doing now looks kind of high schooly where you're, you're, you're not matching anything. You're, you're just, like you're just dropping to an area and defending grass and, and, and not defending a man. You, there's so many times that Boise's getting these vertical releases and going down downfield and nobody's touching him on a reroute. No, nobody's carrying them to the next defender. And I, I don't get what the hell they're doing back there right now. Uh, I will note they're playing a lot more cover three. So I don't know where that influence comes from because traditionally Barnett is a guy who plays uh, more middle of the field open and that's more of a closed coverage, but uh, yeah, man, I'm I'm at a loss for what they're doing on defense right now, and uh, I, I would fire this whole defensive staff if, if things don't get a lot better because this is this is pretty underperforming their talent level. Now, granted, it's one game. Like I said, if things don't get better, 
I would just pink slip everybody and, and start over. Yeah. Uh, one game, appropriate to point that out. But when you talk about cover three and the inconsistency with Barnett's traditional idea of what he wants out of a defense, I, I don't think we see any of that right now. I, I, I am absolutely perplexed as to like where the identity of this defense and, and what they're trying to do. Uh, I don't want to make too much out of a single quote, but when Barnett was um, when Barnett was hired, uh, the the quote as to what he has in mind for his ideal defense is as follows: He thinks his defense is having a nine man front with safeties joining the defensive line and linebackers and cornerbacks expected to hold their own in one on one matchups. Our corner much our corners are pretty much are on islands and have to play with great technique, pressed up man technique throughout the entire game. Generally, when our corners have great years, our defense is having a great year. That's as far away from what we're trying to do philosophically as I can think. And I obviously, you, you change to a 3-4. Is this the, the sense that where a guy just woke up and completely had a change in, uh, in what he wants to do from what he's tried to do the rest of his career? I, I'm, I'm perplexed as to the general identity of the defense right now and how it doesn't match up with anything out of what your defensive coordinators tried to do historically. So do you remember how much crap we took over the summer for saying we thought this was a desperation move because they had to find some way to get a pass rush without Burns? I, I don't see any reason to to like go back on the, on that statement. Do you? And they did do that. You're right. I mean, that is the one shining thing to take away from that. Uh, Carlos Becker has a career day, and and others play on the other side of the line of scrimmage, and that is the the only thing you do well. But it's just perplexing to me that you're going to turn away from everything that you've done the rest of your career. Do you think that it's an issue that Barnett, like Barnett and Woody, are not able to teach it in concert? Right. I. I have some suspicions about that because Barnett has taught, you know, some, some zone match principles before, right? Not like, not necessarily like, like, like what, what Saban runs, but you know, some, some of that stuff, the, the backers really struggle with this. And I'm wondering if they haven't simplified everything in the back end, just to sort of take it to like the lowest common denominator, which does appear uh, to be the linebackers, because I'm pretty certain you could teach you, you could teach some of that pattern match stuff to this secondary. In fact, I'm I'm real certain you could. I don't think I I wonder if they've had to dumb this thing down a little bit for for the backers. And I I, I just don't think that the the back seven right now is getting taught something complex enough. And like even then, they're not executing what they're being taught. Well, this is crazy. Like this is not. This ain't good, guys. And you, you all know I'm not really on like the, you know, fire or coach train or anything like that very often. And I'm not yet, but if this doesn't get better, choo-choo uh, for, for sure, you know. Because to me, this is a level of talent on the defense. The, the defense with this much talent should not be underachieving like this. Uh, and it should be getting better than it was last year in the back end, not worse. And I don't think they're better in the back end. And that's concerning to me because I, what I expected was the defense would take 
what, like somewhat of a step back simply because of the loss of Brian Burns. You can't be taking a step back in the back end when you didn't lose anybody important. That's unacceptable. Let me ask you this. Like, I think this this question would be absolutely crazy a week ago. If they don't get these these damn run fits figured out for, for these inside backers, you got to switch back to a 4-3, right? I don't think that's crazy at all. Absolutely. Exactly what I was going to say. I mean, because you, you can't live with these kind of run fits. This is absolute trash. These guys have no idea what the hell they're doing. I mean, Boise's a, a, a decent team with a solid offensive line, but a, a team that was more or less able to pick up seven yards on the ground when whenever they wanted. Uh, not something that you can do at all, and uh, you don't have the per- perfect personnel to do it. But uh, if if going back to a four three at least allows you to be mildly competent, then I would expect to see it sooner than later. I mean, this is yeah. Like I wouldn't. I don't think I would do it right away. I think you need to figure out. Okay, like. Are we asking these guys to change their gap responsibilities on the fly too much? Uh, is our run fit stuff overcomplicated and, and our, our pass our pass cover stuff undercomplicated? Are we slanting too much? I'm sure there's a bunch of stuff on film that they saw that they that they want to change up. And um, I know Taggart said they already fixed some of the alignment stuff. Which look, if you actually have the right number of defenders in the box to defend the run, uh, good things, better things. I'm not gonna say good things. Good things might be a little aggressive for this group right now. Uh, better things should happen, right? And it's only one game, so I'm not going to judge craziness based on one game. But there are some sort of like, whoa, that's not okay uh, things happening to me in this game. And I chatted I chatted you know, with some dudes who I know know ball uh, a, a lot better than I do. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's pretty bad. Good pieces are, of information are kind of hard to stumble upon right now, but I do have one for you. Uh, Madison Social just uh, put this out on their Instagram about 90 minutes before we recorded tonight. And that is that the old legend herself, the Nolcast Bloody Mary, is back for the weekend game menu. So, uh, again, available Saturdays from 10 to 2. It's a house Bloody Mary with Louisiana hot sauce, because of course it is, uh, with a Madso burger slider. And any time that you get to go by on Saturdays and you happen to have that in the back of your mind, uh, not a not a bad option. I was fortunate enough to be able to uh, to darken the door at Madso twice over the course of the past weekend, and it's just an exceptional place uh, run by great people and uh, reminds me as to how fortunate we are to be able to partner with them and the great partner they've been with us since day one. Absolutely, man. All right, let's get to the offense. So Boise uh, did have pretty nice personnel at some some spots on the defense. Curtis Weaver was was real good. Florida State gave him a lot of attention for the most part. I also thought the nose guard for Boise was was real good. They're they're not going to face a whole lot of nose guards who, who are better than him. And so when you see some clips out there of Baby on Johnson getting whipped by him, understand that yeah, like yeah, he got he got beat by a better player. We kind of expected he would, but you're not going to face a ton of noses who are are better. Uh, than than he is. I thought Boise did a real nice job in the second half of the game. We we, we talk about adjustments, right? Oh, hey, why, why, why didn't you make adjustments? The defense absolutely deserves criticism for not adjusting its alignment at halftime, like at, le- at least not enough, right? They they did not do a good job of that. I will say that sometimes the adjustments are not yours to make. We discussed this a little bit before on, on previous episodes over the years, but 
If you come out and you score 31 points in a half against a pretty damn good defense, guess what? The adjustments really are not yours to be making at halftime. You're going to try to, to anticipate some things. You're going to say, okay, we hit him with this, with this, with this. What do we think is going to happen here you know, with, with this and that? And how do we maybe counter that? But ultimately, the adjustments are are those to be made by the defense. Agreed? Does that, that, that seem to make sense? You, you, just, you just scored 31 points on them in a half. Yeah, uh, obviously the ball's in their court when it comes to adjusting to what, what you just did to them to put 31 on them. So... One of the things I thought Boise did well, uh, sort of like the last 25 minutes of the game, or 35 rather, Florida State was giving a lot of a lot of help and attention uh, on on Weaver, and Boise did a real nice job, sort of exploiting the the lack of of sort of you know pass protection help to the inside by bringing some blitzes from the secondary. Uh, I, I thought that was that was pretty smart by them to do and. Ultimately, if you're Florida State, it's like, okay, what are you actually going to do here? Are you actually are you not going to help out uh, Weaver on these, or, or are you not going to spread the field? And they hit some. I, I think we kind of expected they'd be able to do some of that. I'm a little bit uh, um, I'm a little bit surprised that it wasn't a little bit earlier in the game that they were able to do that. They also did a nice job against Florida State's run game, and I'm just kind of sharing random stuff here that we picked out when we, when we went back and watched the film together. They they did a pretty good job hitting some of the stuff with the corner blitz, which was messed up some of Florida State's timing there. FSU probably could have adjusted a little bit better to that, I think, in the fourth quarter. But for the most part, you went out, you had, what, over seven yards of play, I, I think it was. That's not surprising. Um, you had a low success rate, but a high explosiveness rate. I mean, that's literally what we said in the season preview and in the, the game preview. Yeah, yards per play, 6.9, which was better than we thought they would do. Uh, this is going to be an offense that's inconsistent but explosive, right? Like that's how it's going to operate. You don't have a line to to push people around and be super efficient uh, on a down to down basis. This looked, I mean, didn't look kind of about like what you thought it would look like for the entire game. You just happened to get most of it in a half. Yeah, uh, as far as a, a points and the output it was more or less uh, where I was in the prediction episode, maybe a little bit less, but. Uh... One just macro adjustment I, I thought they made. They just they didn't let you throw over the top of them anymore either. I mean, they, they uh, made you earn it, and it was almost like they they ended up taking the air out of the offense by, by putting a, a cap on top of their defense. Um, and it, as soon as that deep shot was kind of taken away, they systematically kind of tightened the screws and some of the adjustments that you just made on the defense line. Uh, it, was, it was as though once they took the easy long play away, they were able kind of to chip away at anything you wanted to do and ultimately just ended up smothering an offense. Yeah, they, they certainly didn't allow Florida State to get as many one-on-one shots uh, down the field as far as its slots matched up on, on Boise's safeties. They did a couple other things, too. First of all, their, their defensive line started whipping Florida State's offensive line about like we thought it would do for a lot of the game. Okay, this is one of the games that we highlighted where the D-line is better than your O-line by a significant margin. They're right. They were one of the six, I think, in the preseason. The others were Florida, Clemson, Miami, Syracuse. Florida, Clemson, Miami, Syracuse. Yeah, and then Boise was the sixth. So it's not really surprising that, that they ended up winning a lot of the, the the battles up front in the second half. What is surprising probably is that Florida State was able to hide its offensive line 
for most of the first half, if you actually think about kind of what is surprising based on what we know here. Coach Taggart today talked about it like they, they needed to run acres more in the second half, but it looks to me like Cam Akers had uh, had almost the same amount of touches in the second half that he did in the first half. The difference was they weren't as effective, especially early in the third quarter. Um, and on those drives in the first half where he was able to get multiple touches on a drive, because I've seen a stat out there like, all oh, the number of touches that he had uh, or the number of drives that he had in which he had multiple touches was a lot less in the second half. Well, yeah, if you go, you know, Cam Akers rush for a yard, second and nine, incomplete, third and nine, incomplete punt, it's going to be difficult to have more than one first down carry on a drive that only has one first down in it, right? That That's sort of a, an obvious thing to me there. So, yeah, that was, that was kind of, I don't know, like sometimes coaches just say stuff to say stuff, and maybe they will run him more. I'm sure they'll run him more next week against, uh, against Louisiana Monroe because they'll, they'll probably have a, a good size lead. Man. I'm trying to think of other things I need to say here about the about about, about the offense. Uh Blackman was not very good in the second half. I think he had some deep balls that, that he that he threw poorly. Um he also had some issues uh in, in reads, right? Wow, man. Talk about week one sloppiness. I think Louisville and Notre Dame have now fumbled the ball back to back like back to each other. Three times in a row, is it? Uh, I believe so. Or was there a punt in there? No, I think it's three straight. I mean, this is this is pretty incredible. Wow. Okay, that's uh, that's a whole lot of fumbling. Maybe the ball's wet there in Louisville. Also, some bad tackling early on in that game in Louisville, especially from from Notre Dame. Okay. So yeah, I thought Blackman missed missed some reads in, in the RPO game. There were some times where, where he needed he needed to pull the ball. There were some times he needed to flip it out uh, to one of the receivers on the outside. And instead, he actually handed it off. And I thought that was a mistake. To be honest, it was like you know I know I'm sound like I'm criticizing a team for running the ball when people think they needed to run the ball more. But I'm telling you, there were times where he handed the ball off uh, in which Florida State did not have an advantage. Oh my God, that's another fumble. Louisville literally fumbled just on the very next play. But yeah, Blackman uh, definitely screwed up some of those and and limited the offense there. I think we discussed how concerned we were that he wasn't like pulling away, pulling away in the quarterback battle. I don't think the sack that that he fumbled on was his fault, by the way. Uh, It's probably Armstrong's fault. The offensive line, uh, pretty pleased with with what I saw from, uh, from Dante Lucas. That's a that's a nice first game against a pretty good defensive front. Thought Ryan Roberts looked good. Brady Scott before he got hurt looked real good. Have you seen the stat by the way uh, of of how bad uh, the offense was when when after Scott's injury? And we're not saying this is just when when Scott was out. It's a nice stat, definitely, and uh, I, th- I think it would have been headed in that direction, uh, independent of injury. But it is it is telling, and it does ring home the point that for two years now, you and I have had to preface our season preview with the fact that if any type of injury occurs, bowl, you know, bowl eligibility will be threatened. And that's uh, just another harsh reminder as to how thin this team is at that particular position. So, uh, yeah, Christian Armstrong, he, he can't play. Whew, man. Like, like, like totally incapable of, of playing at this level right now. 
And that's on Florida State. That's on Willie Taggart and his staff, by the way, for not having developed him. He's a year two player. I need to have him be able to get in there and, you know, actually give me a couple snaps that are that are okay. That was that was disturbing, man. That's not a Jimbo thing. What you get out of that kid. There's there's too many offensive linemen on this roster right now that operate almost as if they are like screwed into the ground and that they can just pivot 360 degrees. Uh, and the amount of lateral movement from so many of our linemen is perplexing and incredibly disturbing. And Armstrong's at the top of that list. Yeah. I would, whew, man. Uh, and Bavion and uh, others, but yeah. Yeah. And Bavion did some good things. Uh, you know, Arnold, whatever. Juwan, what's that song that don't won't be fooled again? No, no, no. Yeah, man. There's a reason why we said we don't trust this stuff. Because we've seen what happened in actual games versus what he does in the scrimmage. And I'm not buying in. I'm not buying in. It is very concerning that they don't have any backups who can seemingly play. Um uh, this is a concern of ours. It was a concern of ours in the preseason, and it's one of the reasons why I think we had a lesser win prediction than basically everybody else on the beat who covers this team because I just don't trust the backups and offensive line. And as much as I really think a lot of Randy Clement's coaching, he can only do so much. Nolcast also brought to you by Resolution Home Loans. When you call Shannon Young at 844-FSU-LOAN or visit fsuhomeloans.com, you're going to have an excellent customer service experience. You're going to get a great rate for your home. I should know. Shannon did mine. It was great to see him and his wife at, at the Matso event this weekend. Uh, sorry, Chad couldn't make it up, obviously, with, with the storm. He's in our thoughts down there. And uh, really, really cool to hang out with them and, and just good people who are going to help you get a great home loan, walk you through the process, make it easy on you. And uh, more than 30 old cast listeners already have. So how about you be like 32 or 33 for us? Positives here, receivers were were pretty explosive. They did not suffer a ton of drops. Um, Keith Gavin needs to catch that ball down down the, uh, the sideline, but, God, we've said that about a million times on the show over the years. I thought Akers looked really good. Akers, by the way, for those of y'all who wondered, I think we had some questions about this over the summer, like, is Cam Akers ruined because he has, doesn't know how to hit the hole and blah, blah, blah. Man, Cam Akers didn't do any of that hero ball stuff that I saw. Right, like I mean, I know he had the fumble, but he was hitting the correct hole. It it looked like how it's supposed to look. That's a really good sign for this team to get back to a bowl, assuming they can get this defense somewhat fixed. Because having Cam Akers and I mean, I thought he looked great, didn't you? I mean, he had 116 on 15 carries. Yeah, no, he, he obviously had the one moment that's going to stick out in everybody's mind, but. Uh, Cam looked great. He looked explosive. He looked uh, like he trusted an offensive line that I wouldn't blame him if he didn't. No, I would. I know why you can't. I know why you can't get him more involved. But I, I think you got to get LeBorn in to, involved in your in your offensive set somehow. And I know it's not this offensive coordinator's past history to to throw to the backs a whole lot. Uh, and I know, in my opinion, why he got pulled because he doesn't do well in pass protection. Uh, but LeBorn is a is an individual with a little bit of a unique skill set and somebody that I hope Florida State can find a way to to utilize more of. And he's a kid that you got to get more than three or four touches a game to. Oh, hey, uh, people uh, people criticize us sometimes um, in, via email for for blaming too much stuff on on Jimbo, you know. And uh, I think we've been 
pretty fair about saying like, yeah, this this was, and no, this is not. One thing we criticized Willie and his staff for a lot in like all last year was you've got to get three college ready bodies via the transfer portal or the junior college. Thing. How many times do we I mean, say we, that? We, over we could and over cut again? this like an ad read and play it in pretty much every podcast we do. I was like, you got to get three. You don't have players on this roster who are any good. You have some guys I think who are real soft who don't even like football on this roster who you would absolutely just cut if you wouldn't kill your APR for doing so. You got to get three. They only got one who can play a lick, and that's Ryan Roberts, who I thought played pretty decently. This hurts you now because as soon as somebody gets hurt, you're kind of screwed, right? And that that's entirely on Willie and his staff. That was a failure of theirs in recruiting. It was it should have been a real obvious need to them. I don't think it was as pressing of a need to them as it was to me, at least not early on, and uh, and and they're paying for that now. Have you seen the uh, thirty for thirty on Morris Dupree, Bud, where the Oklahoma coach basically lived in his neighborhood for six weeks, leading it up to signing day or something like that. The uh, the running back out of Mississippi? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the best that never was. Uh, obviously, Florida State doesn't have a, uh, a never-ending army of polo shirts, but I, I seriously would contemplate dedicating one person to evaluating JUCO offensive tackles and maybe another person to uh, find out whatever the limit is, whatever is classified as tampering, uh, when it comes to contacting individuals that might be eligible for an immediate transfer, uh, take two steps back from whatever does constitute tampering and go there uh, because you've got to find ready bodies that you can plug and play next year. End of discussion. And yeah, uh, if you it's don't, something then, we talked about. Then you should fire him. Yeah, yeah, you talked about it and we talked about it ad nauseum and you failed to do it. And you got a kid out of Juco that's not a football player and you're in a hell of a situation again. So uh, I'm all for signing kids like uh, like Dent and Gant and Travis J. But man, your your tenure as a coach is not going to be determined by how good of a secondary you sign. It's going to be determined by how many ready-made offensive linemen you can plug into your team next year. Exactly right. Yeah, I mean, it. it and God forbid they, that that they have somebody go down for a couple of games because you just saw what happens when they put a guy like Armstrong in, right? I mean, it, it's like. Instant dysfunction. <laughs> I like Seriously. That. I like that. Yeah. Um, trying to think. Oh, lack of penalties overall was good, right? I I don't want to be super down on this team right now. Um, I think we were already kind of down on this team compared to everybody else to start the year. Uh, we basically never let nine and three as, as a, a super likelihood <laughs> slip out of our mouths. But lack of penalties was a legitimate improvement. We, we saw last year that they had a penalty – I think, what was it, every 13 plays or something? And, and in this game, it was uh, – what did they go to? Florida State had five penalties in the game, uh, and the total number of plays was 170. So. Didn't two of them come on your last drive, I think, if I remember correctly? So, yeah, yeah, a, a step in the right direction, and you're right. Something It's real easy to sit here and complain about everything, but that was a, that was a nice, nice change. I mean, they, they slashed their penalty per play rate by about two-thirds. That's legitimately good. And remember our discussion last year that you don't really want to be like the best in the nation at avoiding penalties, but you, you kind of want to not be in like the bottom 20 and you kind of want to like not be in the top 20. Because if you're in the top 20, you're probably not getting away with enough stuff that should be flagged. And if you're in the bottom 20, you're probably just way too damn sloppy uh, at that. So, yeah. Uh, one thing on defense that I wanted to mention, and I didn't do it because I think I harped on it a lot in the instant reaction, but 
One thing I noticed, and there's a stat going around today on social media, there's 28 plays allowed by Florida State of 10-plus yards. Do you know how many plays they allowed of 30-plus yards? Is it one? Two. To me, if you're going to run, like this is not playing good complementary football. You need to be a lot more aggressive, even at the expense of getting beat over the top. Some. Some of these guys are, are way too deep on these plays. There's that play where, where uh, I think it's in the – what quarter is that? It's got to be either second or fourth quarter where Bachmeyer kind of runs around and he throws a bit of a like a floating duck pass over Samuels on the left side there, right, D- down down the sideline for first down. You, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. So if you go back and you look at the overhead angle of that, which – I'm not saying I have access to or anything. Like, they actually have the overhead angle on the broadcast, on the replay part. Those safeties are just so far back. They, they've they got to come up and be more aggressive, in my opinion, even if it means allowing some real explosive plays and scores. And, and Willie was right on this today. He's like, he was like, no, I don't, I don't really think it's the offense's fault that the defense was out there, right? Like, the defense had 19 third downs it faced, and it could have, could have stopped some of those and got off the field. I was like, yes, that's – 100% correct. Like, stop blaming the offense for the defense's failure. If the defense was, you know, getting three and outs all the time and ended up having to face 22 possessions or something like that, then, yeah, I think that'd be something to, to talk about. But the defense was so poor from the start uh, that, that it, it tired itself out. It, it does not get to blame the offense in this situation. It, it does not have clean hands. You want to talk, uh, you want to talk a little uh, a quick little note about, about Power 5 head coaches in their second year? Yeah, uh, before you do that, real, I do want to ask you real briefly if you make anything of the defense uh, not having uh, an actual coach in the boat uh, in the booth uh, and having a, a GA up there. And uh, I know that is a little bit of a uh, an oddity, and maybe it's just uh, making too much out of what you've seen and overreacting. But with as poor as we are in some of our our zones and the idea of covering the field, uh, I just kind of stood out to me when I saw that today. So the zone stuff. I don't know. It could help you in theory, I guess. You know, I know we've always been big on on first guessing, right? Like, hey, we want to first guess something, not not second guess it if we can. This probably deserves somewhat of a first guess. You you, you may want to put a coach up up in the booth there. I don't know that you necessarily have to, but if you don't, you need to have a guy who you actually who you really trust as far as a GA up there, which I, I know they, they do have a GA up there. Uh, currently, and they, I know they really do trust that guy. So if I had to first guess this, I would not have really had much of a problem with it. Now, where I start to second guess it, and maybe I'm allowed to do this, is that they really didn't adjust very well at halftime to some of these these looks when Boise was using their H-back or when they were going nub. They were still not aligned properly and not setting themselves up for success. So either... Either whoever they had in the booth didn't see it, which I very much doubt, right? Like, if we're seeing this, then the booth guy's seeing this a million times. Over. We probably saw it the first time it happened. So it seems to me like the issue probably wasn't having somebody in, in, in the booth. It was probably an inability to get that fixed on the field and then successively in the locker room, right? Which is a real concern of mine, more so than, than the booth. But if you want to put somebody up there, I, I don't hate the idea. Yeah, well, it's a consequence and a reminder of the fact that Florida State's also operating a coach down this year. Probably probably wouldn't be an issue otherwise. 
That's true. Yeah, exactly. Um, although the counter to that too, and like, again, that's something that we're not blaming Jimbo for. That's on Willie. The counter to that, I think, would be teams had nine coaches on their staff for a long, long time and seemed to be able to run successful defenses. So, you know, if you have somebody you trust up there, awesome. If you want to put a coach up there, also awesome. Just make it work. That, that's, that seems like, like the most, uh, most important thing to me there. Power 5 head coach note real quick. Power 5 head coaches in their second year so far this year, they are 1-14 against the spread, which means, like by and large, they are really failing to meet expectations. Why is this? I have a couple theories on this. I'm actually working on a project for it for work. But number one, I think part of it is recruiting. These first-year classes that these guys are signing, I think we are seeing that the bust rate on these is extremely high, right? Some of these dudes who they were able to sign were available for reasons that are not positive reasons, okay? And I think that does does increase the chance that, that, that they're going to bust because you didn't have long time to develop relationships with these dudes. You didn't have time to recruit them. You just had to get in there and get anybody you could because it was the first year of the early signing period. The other thing that I think you brought up in our, our pre-show, this also applies to assembling your coaching staffs. I think this is more uh, more germane to Florida State. I, I, they had a really good class the first year. Was it, you know, was it perfect? Was it? Uh, but like, are they going to get anything out of Armstrong and Meadows? I mean, like, 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 yeah. There's some dudes who are still in school, but I'm pretty ready to call them busts. Uh, a good point there on the offensive line. I would say, from a macro standpoint, you signed a good class, but there are some absolute holes. What I do think this is really indicative of, of Taggart's issue is not so much the recruiting, but the staff. I I have questions as to what whether or not this is really the defense Harlan wants to run or uh, what's going on there. But I, I think it's safe to say at this point, it looks like you went 0 for 2 uh, when you tried to hire your first set of coordinators. Obviously, you went 0 for 1, uh, and philosophically, it doesn't look like uh, you pair particularly well with your defensive coordinator. And that's a that's a real problem for Willie Taggart, and I do think that is uh, very reflective of the the haste in which the staff was put together. I will say too, Willie's not alone in that, right? Like, I mean, we're talking uh, a lot of coaches out there are, are struggling with this. Jeremy um, Pruitt's having Tennessee, a having a Tennessee's already made a coordinator change. Hell, like Willie's loss this weekend was probably not even in like the top five of losses by second year power five coaches, right? I mean, it's really weird. They're a lot of them are struggling quite a bit. I mean, Dan Mullen won some games at Florida last year, 10 games, and yet they're kind of struggling in recruiting. We may look back on this after a lot of these guys get fired, you know, maybe five years from now, and say, damn, early signing period really does change how much time you have to you have to give a staff to evaluate it. Potentially. I, I I think smart ADs are going to start to be more patient in the early signing period era. Unless there's just something that's going on that you're like, yeah, this is not going to work. We're, we're pulling the plug now. Uh, you want to get to our Patreon questions? Absolutely. Got some uh, good questions here. We will uh, remind you of the patreon.com backslash Nolcast if you have a, a desire to support the Nolcast. Uh, it's something that we opened up a couple weeks ago. 
every dollar that we have we put directly into improving the content and uh, support the uh, very much appreciate the support we've received so far. Uh, the first question that we have from uh, the Patreon inquiries, uh, Robert asks, was the defense as bad as some uh, will think it was, or was it rather a combination of quick scores and quick three and outs uh, that were at the root cause of the decline in the second half? Man, uh, Robert, if you just if you did happen to, to just fast forward right to this point in the show and, and did not listen to the first hour, uh, no, the defense was probably worse than you even thought, right? They kind of... I don't want to say bailed out because they, they earned a lot of the, the plays that got them off the field as far as, you know, forcing fumbles and, and, and forcing pressure that, that, that ended up in picks. Um, there's an element of turnover left, obviously, but they, you know. But these issues that they had as far as alignment and, and gap fitting in the run game and, and not, not carrying routes properly, not matching routes in the pass game, those were there the entire game. So it was probably even worse than y'all realized. That's kind of why I'm just – I'm not holding back on this tonight because it, it was it was awful. Like if they fix it, then clearly they fix it. But there's going to be no apology coming, right? Like there's no excuse to, to be that bad. And I don't think Florida State is much better than than Boise is. But for you to have the fortune to get up like that and not to fix some of those defensive issues that you had, uh, that really looks bad on the staff, and, and and they they should be roasted for it. All right, Ingram. Now it's time for Ask the Expert, brought to you by Travis Johnson. Attorney at Law, Travis Johnson, a family law expert, one of only 280 board-certified family law attorneys in the state of Florida. That's out of more than 10,000 attorneys. You can reach Travis, 850-435-9919. If you're going through a divorce, there's a lot of things you have to consider, right? Did you know 401ks, IRAs, pensions, FRS plans, other retirement accounts are subject to division? You probably did know that. But it's regardless of the length of, of the marriage, even if a spouse doesn't retire for years. Their retirement or pension may be divided as part of your case. It's very important you have an expert working on your side in these matters. Give Travis a call, 850-435-9919. Andrew asks, at what point do the people who matter start to ask around and gather up money for a buyout or gauge interest and a replacement? In my opinion, I still think Jimbo left more of a mess than anyone could have comprehended, and Taggart deserves at least three full years. But at this point in time, it would hard to see Taggart entering year three as anything other than a lame duck. Okay, I think they've already had these conversations behind the scenes, like like like, like among among boosters. But the thing is, if you pass the hat and the hat doesn't come back with with, with the amount you need, what are you going to do? Right? Like like there's, <laughs> you either have the cash or you don't. I think both of our guesses, and correct me if I'm wrong with this, is that. People there are very committed to to having Willie succeed, both because they they want to you know believe they made a good hire, and I think based on the evidence at the time, they did, at least based on track record. And they also I don't think they have the money to pay some seventeen million dollar buyout. So I do think that if this Barnett thing doesn't work out, that they will go ahead and go get a new defense coordinator next year. And it's it's. Uh... It's not just a $17 million buyout. I mean, I've talked to somebody about this. They would need about $23 million liquid to have real serious conversations about moving forward. And that's not, look, that's not indicative of uh, the resources that an athletic department that just had to make across-the-board cuts has. It's just not there. And uh, I've said this before. I don't know everybody's checkbook. I'm not trying to say, but there's no evidence of a Florida State booster uh, in place of being able to write a 20 to $25 million check simply 
for the right to begin to replace the football staff. And I know it's real easy for people to go to a message board and say, oh, I know this booster after the game who said that, uh, you know, things, they're going to make it happen or whatever. But it's it's a it's a different conversation to have three or four bourbons and get frustrated about the head coach than it is to go back on a Tuesday or Wednesday and start to have a serious conversation about giving six, eight, ten million dollars simply to fire a football coach. That that's yeah. You don't get your name on a building for for a buyout. No, you just fire, and you got to do the buyout from the new yeah, school. You just fire a football coach, and you got to tell that to your wife. You got to tell that to your kids that you're giving ten million dollars to an institution again, not so that the music department bears your name or something, so so that they can simply look at having serious conversations about getting rid of the football coach. Florida State, uh, a school that is uh, has a lot of support, and I know people are fond of pushing some of the numbers around that support that, and I'm not saying it's not true. I'm also saying it's not a school that's in a place to write a check simply that they can start the process of going out and hiring a whole new football staff. Yeah, like even with all these criticisms, I would absolutely give – any coach hired in the early signing period, three years minimum, and probably four, unless they just did something that is just completely egregious. Now, the lame duck comment on there, I don't think that should be ignored. They have another bad season here. There's a lot of folks who are going to be basically on on, on the kind of like ignore, ignore setting unless they wake up. But I also want to point this out real quick. Man, everybody's like, oh, I'm so out on Willie Taggart and all this stuff. And I know you and I know a lot of dudes who are, you know, they're, they're not $100 boosters, right? Everybody in this fan base, from the person who didn't go to Florida State, who doesn't give anything to him, you know, to, to the guy who went there and, and generations of his family went there and, and gives $100,000 a year. Everybody in this fan base is so hungry for a win. And just for a, a good win to feel about, if they beat Virginia, people are going to be thinking this team is back. We're back, baby. And, like, it won't be back, right? Just as a loss to Boise is, does not have to be the end of the world. So I do think that people, you're exactly right. It's very easy to get up and down after a couple bourbons. But that's, it's, it's a lot different to sit down the following Monday and write that check. Uh, last one here. All right, uh, Chris asks, are there personnel changes that you would make based on week one? Well, we talked about some talked about some need to distribute snaps at linebacker differently uh, right out of the gate. That's the first one that I would point to. And this is more a scheme, but I could, uh, rather than personnel, but I could really go about seeing Kando or Robertson in a whole lot of pass coverage, but that's a, a little bit different than what he's asking. And uh, I'm not ready to say pull the hook, but we imagine we acknowledged at the beginning of the year that Keith Gavin might be working on as short of a leash as possible and uh, not sure that Keith did a whole lot to earn more snaps. Um, Keith Gavin, one of my <laughs> – a guy that I've always wanted the best for and I'm not trying to pile on, but it doesn't seem to be a whole lot of evolution in the skill set or what you're necessarily going to get from him. Got to catch the ball. Right, like it's not Florida State's line is not going to give you that many chances to to chuck it deep, except off play action. When they actually do have a good good deep ball thrown to you, and you're open, can't be dropping those. And the the sample set in Keith's career as far as drops is is way too big. I know he's a good blocker, 
I know he had a nice first down catch. By the way, good job Blackman working back to his like third read on that after the pump fake uh, go uh, after they covered it up. But yeah, the main thing I I, I want to see the youth movement at linebackers now. I, I I don't know where you want to put Woodby if you want to leave him there. Man, oh, God, like if you did go back to a four three, obviously you'd up the blitz a ton. I think to get pass rush. You have real issues as far as defensive end depth as well. I mean, like, you, who are going to be your backups at, like, to, to Kando and to uh, to Robinson? Are you actually going to play like Warner and, and Gainer as hand in the dirt ends? I, I there's reasons why they made this switch, and a lot of it are, are, are personnel based. I'm just kind of going through them in my head here, and you're seeing some of these problems. There may be some other reasons why they made the switch too, but I. I can't prove that, so I'm not going to bring that up. Ryan asks, evaluate the young guys who played. Are they a reason for optimism? Hmm. Florida State did play a whole lot of young guys, didn't they? I thought Dennis Briggs had some good snaps. Generally liked to add what you got out of Lucas for a first game against a pretty talented line. Does Gaynor count as a young guy? I mean, he's a second-year dude. He's not a true, he's not a freshman, but I, I guess for young guys, we should count them, right? Uh, I thought Gaynor had a pretty good game. Um, he was a pleasant surprise. He also had some really nice downfield coverage. Mm-hmm. So that was that was good to see. Uh, I know the staff really liked Bernardo Green, um, what, what he did, so you may see more of him seems to kind of kind of get it. Uh, Jaleel McCray had a sack, so that was cool. Other young guys. Uh, Christian Armstrong, we already talked about him, not, not so much. Uh, Keyshawn Helton, he's a second-year dude. Does he still count as a young guy? It continued to back up some of the summer hype there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so that that was solid. I'm trying to think other young guys who played. True Thompson, uh, uh, he had a couple plays, but he also got blocked a whole lot, and I, I was surprised he was in there as much as he was. I think that's probably probably the most. If I'm missing one, just just let me know. In the uh, in the comments or, or via email, and I'll, I'll I'll try to get on it next episode. Not necessarily a young guy, but I think we probably saw more out of Ontario Wilson than we would have necessarily thought going into the game. Catches the ball, seems to be in the right spot. I mean, that's that's kind of what you need opposite Terry, right? You're you're going to get some one on one matchups because they're they're going to try to take away Terry deep. After seeing certain defensive players continually out of position, mainly in the linebacker group, do you fellas (laughs) see a youth movement on the way? DeAndre, we probably should have addressed your question earlier. Uh, But, yeah, I think think we both made our opinions on this one uh, pretty clear and and both both as far as what we personally want and uh, maybe more importantly what we think they they need to do. Uh, Spencer asks, are our future opponents going to begin games with some of the adjustments that Boise State made in the second half, should we expect to see the offenses, uh, the offense necessarily stay a three-and-out machine going forward? Okay, uh, so the first part of this question, yeah, if they don't, then, I mean, assuming that they can do what Boise was doing within the context of their offense system, but yeah, if they don't, then they're probably pretty stupid. So yeah, like you got to see if Fort Stick can line up to certain looks. If they can't line up to certain looks, you're going to continue – to, uh, to, to exploit that. Should we see, expect the offense to be a three-and-out machine going forward? Like, probably not to the extent it was in the second half, but you're going to see a lot of three-and-outs, and you're going to see a lot of explosive plays. It's really going to be that kind of mix 
because you don't have – I don't think you have the quarterback to be consistent as far as like methodical drives. And this isn't a think thing. I know you don't have the offensive line to be consistent on long, marching, methodical drives. So you're going to need to score via explosive plays. And when the explosive plays don't come, you're going to have some three and outs. That's just going to be what it is. You can win games like that. You can't win a national title like that, but good offenses – like th- this offense, when it has you know better players there, doesn't do that. So, yeah, uh, I, I guess that's kind of the best answer I can give to that. Andy says, is Levante someone who should be classified as a bust? Uh, I'd hold off on it. I didn't have a great day, but uh, I, I think that's a, a kid – who, uh, look, committed to a different staff and uh, has tried to make the most of uh, a really disappointing last year and appears to have tried to uh, put in put in the effort to have a meaningful last year. I don't know that he's ever going to live up to his high school ranking, but uh, a bust I normally associate with a, a, a little bit more of a lack of effort to even try to compete and contribute, and I don't think that's the case in Taylor's situation. I, I think a bust is like, okay, failed out, booted because of uh, discipline, unwillingness to compete, uh, and, and, and transferred out, or just, just an inability to, to play at the level to which you recruited him. Levante Taylor started like 20-something games here. He's not a superstar by any means, but he's nowhere close to my definition of bust. Like, like if, if, that, if that's your definition of bust then everybody in the country is going to have a bust rate. Like if you have to be a superstar, not to end up being a bust just because you're, you're a high, like a high recruit. Yeah, no, to me that that's definitely not a bust. And I'm not here. It's here saying he's a good player, but like, he's not a bust to me. If he broke into his teammates house and stole some things, but then left his wide receiver glove there as a part of the identifying characteristic of the robbery. Is that how you, Increase someone's that could be a bust. bust. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's something that. What if he like never qualified at all? And yeah, like that would be a bust. These are things that actually happened. Yeah, by the There's way, good, you know Callahan, Bright, Fred Rouse, all the all the high times of of bust at Florida State. Uh, Chris says, "What if any change would you make to season totals based off game one? I assume this is season win totals." Yeah. All right. So I was at uh, I was at seven point four eight. And I had, what did I have Boise at? Like 0.62, right? So that would drop me down to like 6.86. And I'm going to have to make a little adjustment here, I think, for uh, the defense looking worse than I thought it did. But I'm going to have to make a slight adjustment up for the offense looking better than I thought it would. So 6.75. So that's 7.5 or 6.6, I think. If you're in that sort of... Like five and seven to seven five range after after watching that, I don't blame you, right? I mean, maybe I'm out on the limb here. There are some things that we know that can actually get fixed with the defense. It, it if the defense came out there and was that bad because they all their players are just garbage and like secretly garbage, it was like, oh my god, they're all garbage. How did we know? Then I would be, you know, a lot more concerned. But there are some things they can fix, even if I have some some concerns about the coaching. I think you were a little bit lower than me, right, to start the year. I know we were lower than, like, all the other media, I guess. but Yeah, I was .05 lower than you, just a little bit, really, because I had some – I had concerns that you are going to beat Boise uh, <laughs> and then sleepwalk a little bit through the Louisiana-Monroe game. Other than that, we were pretty pretty close to each other. Um, 
you know, those those concerns no longer in play, obviously. They could still sleepwalk through the Monroe game. I mean, like, it would be inexcusable, but... Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. They could. They could. Uh, okay, last... Uh, no, actually, that, that was the last one. Uh, y'all, we really appreciate you listening to the show. I know this was a long one, uh, but uh, we only get to do 10 or 12 of these game review shows per year. And if they make a bowl game, it'd be cool. We could do 13. So we went over an hour tonight. If you liked it, five stars on iTunes. Very much appreciated. 